Um, this will be an exciting time. Uh, not quite as everything went planned. Hopefully we'll get things running up, and maybe after I'm done with my sermon we can finish off with some of the songs we missed out on. But uh, uh, I am speaking today. Obviously, you know, John is, uh, Pastor John is away in India, and we need to be keep keeping him in our prayers. I don't know what the time difference is, but I know that he'll be speaking today as well. Uh, so keep him in your prayers this morning. Uh, let's open in a word of prayer, and then we'll see what God has to say to us today. Uh, let's pray. Uh, dear Lord, I thank you so much for this morning, and I thank you uh, even despite the cold and despite uh, technical problems and electrical issues and all that, God, that you are still God, that you are still all-powerful and all-great. And God, we know that, and we know that we can worship you and experience uh, fellowship with each other and fellowship with you today despite whatever else might go wrong but we know that we have one thing and that is uh, you are with us and God we thank you for that and this morning as we look at your word I just pray that you would uh, just bless it that you'd be glorified in everything we talk about and God that you'd be the one to speak that you'd hide me behind your cross and that we would just all together as a body uh, look to you in Jesus name I pray amen If you guys have the notes that were in the bolt and you saw that the uh, title of the sermon today is Reality Check. Um, and I was looking for some illustrations on what I'm talking about when I talk about a reality check. A reality check is some, something that happens any time that you, the perceived reality of life is not really what it is. Uh, maybe you've had these experiences in your life. For instance, I know we've all had one experience like this. Today, your perceived reality would be that you were going to be coming into a church that would be warm and comfortable, but instead, you showed up and it's cold and, uh, and hey, you know what? So, the reality is, it's cold, okay? You may have thought it was going to be warm, but it wasn't. Reality check for you. I did not turn off the heat, okay? It was not just simply done for a sermon illustration, I promise. Although one person did suggest I should change my sermon to giving so that I can talk about how we need to give more so we can keep the heat bill paid. Uh, but that's not what I'm going to speak about either. Uh, but we are going to talk about this idea of reality check and things that maybe we didn't, we don't, we think we have a grasp on, but sometimes we might not have a full picture. That the reality of a situation might often be different than what the truth, or what we think the truth is. Um, a couple stories of my life, personally, um, that were, that, where I had a reality check in my life. And the first one is kind of a lighthearted thing, but I used to work at a summer camp, Circle C. We just came back from snow camp from there. But I had a, uh, I, I had a co-counselor that I, was, I got very, pretty close with. We were good friends. And we'd play ping pong all summer long, and that was our favorite thing to do. And whenever we got a chance, we would play ping pong with each other. And I got to the point where pretty much every game... I was beating him. And I wasn't just, you know, it usually it was fairly close, but a lot of times I would really beat him really good. And I started thinking, I, was, I started thinking really good things about myself. I am a great ping pong player. This, I will beat him every time I play him, no question. Summer, end of summer comes and the staff had a great idea. We're going to have a staff-wide ping pong uh, tournament for all those who uh, want to uh, join the team. So the brackets come out and I look at my first opponent. And my first opponent is my co-counselor. His name is Chris. And I said, great. I know I can at least get through the first round. No problem at all. So it comes time for the game, and we get, get across from each other. We get the ping pong paddles. And I notice something different is, than when we've ever played before. 
See, I'm looking across the table and I see that he's got his paddle in his left hand. And I looked at him and I said, wait a minute, you're right-handed. To which he responded, that's what you thought. (laughs) Uh, Turned out the whole summer he was playing me with his off hand. And uh, so I was beating him all summer until the tournament came and he walloped me. I mean, we're talking, I think it was like 21 to 5, something like that. It was a reality check for me. What I thought was true turned out not to be the whole story. Um, Maybe you've had a situation in your life where you uh, have this type of thing has happened. Another thing that happened to me just recently, and you guys will know this person, but uh, when I first started applying for this job, I kept getting emails from Chris Cornell. And I thought, okay, uh, this guy's pretty cool. Uh, And and then I realized, uh, obviously, when I got here and I met Chris, that Chris is not a guy at all. She's a girl. Uh, She's a woman. Um, And that was a little bit of a reality check for me. And maybe that's happened to you before. A lot of times if there's a name that can go either way, you just, for whatever reason, your mind thinks one thing even though you probably shouldn't. So those are a couple of funny examples. But uh, maybe there's been more uh, serious things in your life uh, where this has happened. Uh, One final example that just happened to me and my wife was we had a reality check when it came to getting our taxes done. Uh, and this is, you guys, anybody who has their taxes done, they know it's, a, it's not necessarily a fun experience. Um, but we were told uh, by somebody that knew this tax company that we were going to go to, this is a great place to go. Uh, you know, they know how to handle pastors and ministry and all those weird things that happen because of that. And they will treat you well and you'll get your refund done quickly and it will go really well for you. We're like, that's great. Usually we try to do it on our own through uh, online stuff. And we're like, well, well, we'll let a company do it for us this year. So we were really excited. We walk into the, um, we walk into the tax place. It looks like a pretty reputable place. We sit in the waiting room. And we sit there for an hour waiting for our tax person to come. At this point, we should have realized something was not quite right. We probably should have left. But after waiting an hour in the waiting room, finally the lady came back and apologized, of course, and, and brought us into the room. Uh, I explained to her that uh, I was in ministry and gave her the W-2s and everything I needed to give her. And um, she started plugging in the information and then she got this like blank look on her face like, I have no idea what to do next. And we ended up sitting in this office for probably, what was it, another hour and a half with her trying to figure out how to put everything into this form. Took forever. We had a babysitting for our kids so this was working out that we could just be there. But no, she couldn't figure it all out so she, we ended up having to come back the next day with all three kids in the office eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches uh, on the floor of the tax office. Uh, and it was a completely horrible experience. We'll never go back. I won't tell you what firm it was. Maybe you use them. That's great. But um, <laughs> we had a real reality check. What we thought was going to be a great experience turned out to be the complete opposite experience. Uh, so those are some personal stories from my life and Uh, Maybe you guys have had something similar. I don't know what it might be. Uh, Maybe you've met people that are totally different than you thought they would be, or you've gone to uh, a company that is totally different than you thought it would be. Maybe you've gone to a restaurant and you thought it was going to be one thing and it was another. These are all day-to-day examples. But I think there's an ultimate example of a reality check that a lot of us need to have. And when I say a lot of us, I do include myself in this, because sometimes I think we have the wrong idea of reality when it comes to God's presence and what it means for him or for us to experience God's presence. And your first blank on your uh, outline, we all desire to experience the presence of God. 
You know, a lot of worship songs we have, a lot of things that we talk about, we always say, we'd really love to be in the presence of God. We want the presence of God in our lives and, and all those things. And that is such a great thing that we should want. We should, but God is always with us, we know that, but yet we desire something special. And a lot of times when we talk about the presence of God, uh, it's usually talked about in reference to uh, uh, an emotional experience that we might have with Him where we're coming to worship and we, we have this feeling or we, we, we just call out to God. And, and many of us have had that experience where we just feel, we just know that God is there and there's no other way to explain it other than to say that God's presence is with us. And we seek that and we want that and that is a good thing to look for. But I think a lot of times we don't understand the full reality of what being in the presence of God is really all about. Being in the presence of God, what is the reality of being in the presence of God. So that's your next blank. You're looking at reality. So today we're going to look at a couple realities that we need to understand about the presence of God. And I hope that when we understand these realities, we too will have a reality check. And maybe things we've looked at will look a little bit different. And maybe we'll see God for who He truly is. Maybe we'll see uh, this whole situation being in the presence of God for what it is meant to be. And that's my hope for this morning as we go into God's Word. We are going to be looking at Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8 this morning, if you want to turn there. Isaiah 6, 1 through 8. Now, this is a pretty familiar passage, and a lot of times it's used, especially in missions conferences, missions months. Um, it's the whole where God says, who will go for us? And, and Isaiah says, here am I, send me. That's the part we know about the story, but there's a whole lot more to it if we want to go to Isaiah chapter 6. And really what Isaiah chapter 6 is all about, it's about Isaiah getting called, um, called to service, but he is brought into the presence of God through a vision. And so Isaiah experiences firsthand the presence of God. And I want to use his story, what happened to him, to help us see some realities when it comes to uh, experiencing the presence of God in our lives as well. So before we get into... <clears throat> The outline, let us just read the passage. Uh, Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim, each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having his hand with in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is purged. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. That's the passage as Isaiah writes it. He was brought into the presence of God himself through a vision. And there's some realities that I think that we can see um, in this uh, passage. First reality is who God is. First thing we need to know, what the reality of who God is. And the first 
thing that we want to look at here in this passage is that God is sovereign. God is sovereign over all. Uh, Isaiah says here uh, in the very first verse, uh, he says, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. We're talking about God's sovereignty here, the fact that he is king of all. He is in control of all and that there is nothing that doesn't fall under his authority. We are nothing compared to the sovereignty. He has, he has the whole world in his hands, and he can do with it what he wants. We read here uh, that he talks about sitting on a throne. He is the king. He is high and lifted up. He is above all else. He is above all people. He is above all rulers. He is above all those things. He is ultimate sovereign. He is the ultimate king of all creation, of all the universe. His robe filled the temple. This whole idea of majesty through a robe uh, of being king, once again, ultimate sovereignty. Now at this point, I had a video that I wanted to show, and I, I'm assuming the, the stuff is still out, right? Okay. So, um, unfortunately, we had a video that I wanted to show that talked about the sovereignty of God. But basically what it did talk about in a nutshell was basically what I had just said, that God has control over all things, over all of creation, over all of the nations, over all of the nation's leaders, uh, over all of human history, that God has a, a seat, a front row seat on the throne of glory, that he is over all else. And when we come into the presence of God, when we talk about that, we need to understand that the God that we are asking to uh, have his presence is the God who is Lord over all, that is the ultimate sovereign, the ultimate king, and that we, in the end, don't have a say to how this world goes. It's him that is sovereign, not us. It's not us that can control this life, this world. He is in ultimate control. And when we understand that, that can help us to more deeply understand his presence. But then also, so we first see that God is sovereign. The next thing in verses 2 through 4, uh, we see that God is holy. God is holy. Uh, above it, in verse 2, stood seraphim. Each had six wings. Uh, and it talks about the wings. Then it says, And one cried to another and said, in verse 3, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. These seraphim, which are attending the throne of God, start singing to him. And what do they sing? They sing to him that he is holy. They don't just say it once, but they say it three times. And really, it's even more than three times because the idea of the passage here is that they are continually singing this chorus. It's not just a one-time thing, but they're continually singing, holy, holy, holy. They want Isaiah to understand, and they understand, and now we are called to understand that God is holy. Now, what does holy mean? Well, very simply, the simplest definition of holy comes to this. God is holy means that he is totally set apart in purity from all else. There is no one like him. He is completely set apart. Uh, he is completely pure. There is no imperfection in him. There is no sin in him. And because of that, he is above all else. So it kind of goes back to the sovereignty thing. They go together. God is sovereign in the fact that he is in control, but then also God is holy, and that gives him the power to be in control because there is no one like him because he is perfect in purity, and he is set apart from people. He is set apart, and he is the one and only true God. There is no one like him. He is in complete control 
of all this world. We understand that Isaiah got this point because as we look through the book of Isaiah, 26 times Isaiah calls God the Holy One of Israel. You see, Isaiah understood how important it was that we understand that God is holy, that he is completely beyond us, that he is greater than anything we can imagine, that he is perfect in purity. A lot of times we get caught into thinking that God uh, is less than what he really is. We get caught up in just thinking that he's just another one of our friends, another one of our buddies. And you know what? God is our friend. He says he wants to be our friend, but he is also completely holy and sovereign and he is over everything. And that means he is over us. And when we look to him to find his presence, it's not just a time necessarily to look and see how he can make us feel, but to look to him and say, God, you are in control. You are sovereign and you are holy. You are set apart found a quote, and if you remember the last time I preached, I really like to include some quotes here because a lot of times there's some great preachers that have said some great things that I can't even come close to saying uh, what I want to say except to go to their words. R.C. Sproul, uh, a theologian, uh, quoted, is quoted as saying this, God is above and beyond us. He is higher than the world. He has absolute power over the world. The world has no power over him. Transcendence describes God in his consuming majesty, his exalted loftiness. He is an infinite cut above everything else. That's what we need to understand, that God is an infinite cut above everything else. There's nothing that compares to him. Nothing in this world, no matter how much joy we can get out of it, compares to God himself. So that's the first reality we need to understand when we come into his presence is who he really is. He is a God of holiness and sovereignty. But the next reality that we need to have is that not only do we need to understand who God is, but our next reality is who we are and what we are. So who we are. Isaiah has this response when he comes into the presence of God, understands who God is. This is Isaiah's response to God. In verse 5, he says this, Woe is me, for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. The first blank here. We are doomed. Now this is an interesting phrase. Where, do you, where am I getting doomed from? Well, if you look at the word woe, what a woe is in this, uh, in this reference, it's not like woe, like it's cool. This is a different kind of woe, Okay. This woe is talking about calamity or judgment. When the prophets come to a country and they say, God's going to wipe you off the face of the earth, what do they say to that country? Woe to you. So what is Isaiah saying here? He's saying, woe to me. He's saying, I am doomed for destruction. I am doomed for calamity. Isaiah understood that in the comparison to God, he just saw the ultimate holy God that is above all else, that he is completely and utterly doomed because there is nothing good in him that he can see. And then also when he says, I am undone, this is an interesting phrase as well. You look at this in the original language and really what is being said is, I am undone means I am doomed to die. So now we go from calamity. So what he's saying is, woe is me. He's saying, something is, is going to come down on me. There's calamity on me. And then he goes on right after that and says, I am doomed to die. The Bible says it very clearly in 
Romans 6.23. It says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And we'll look at that gift in a second. But the Bible makes it very clear, and Isaiah understands when he sees the holiness of God, that he is perfect, that there is no sin in him. Isaiah takes a look at himself and he realizes, Woe, woe is me. I am undone. I am doomed to die. I am nothing. I am no good. I am doomed to die. And that's what Isaiah sees. Now, as I was thinking about this, I, I thought about this. Can we imagine if we were to come to worship sometime and to worship God, uh, we sang a worship song that was themed like this verse. Can you imagine if up on the screen came a verse and we started chanting, woe is me, we are doomed. Uh, That wouldn't really go over very well in a worship service. Uh, I'm pretty sure to say. Um, And I'm not saying we should. I'm just saying this is Isaiah's first response. His first response isn't even praise. His first response isn't even to to be joyful in God. But his first response when he is in the presence of God, the reality of it is, is that he sees his utter need of God. He sees his utter sinfulness. Do we see that when we come to the presence of God? Or do we just continue on through our day and sing to him or pray to him or whatever we, we do to be in his presence? Do we just do it and not think about what it is that he wants us to see that compared to him, we are nothing. Isaiah goes on and says the same thing, that he is unworthy. When he talks about unclean lips here, and he's in a people of unclean lips, uh, he is unworthy. So we are unworthy is the next blank. So we are doomed, we are unworthy. Because of sin, Isaiah and his people were unworthy to praise God with their lips, as the seraphim were able to do. The seraphim are all praising him with their lips, but Isaiah understands that there is too much sin in his life, that he is compared to God, he is nothing, and he is not worthy of praising him. We see here at the very end of verse 5, he says, For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. What does Isaiah say? He says, Now that I've seen God, I've experienced his presence, now I know who I truly am. I am a sinner. I am undone. I am doomed to die. And that's what Isaiah understands when he comes into the presence of God. John MacArthur said it this way, No one can stand in the presence of God without being profoundly and devastatingly aware of his own wretchedness and sinfulness. Let me say that one more time. No one can stand in the presence of God without becoming profoundly and devastatingly aware of his own wretchedness and sinfulness. Now, some of you are thinking, man, this sermon's kind of a downer. Okay, right now it kind of is. Uh, We look at what Isaiah happened, what happens to Isaiah, and I want to be very... When we ask for the presence of God, are we really knowing what we're asking for? Because in the presence of God, all our sin and all our problems and all our, all our uh, darkness is seen. And, and Isaiah saw that and knew that he was doomed to die. I'm not saying that when we come to church and start singing worship that everybody should fall to their knees and start lamenting. But we need to understand that we are sinners uh, that are nothing compared to our God. But here's where the good news starts to come in. Reality three, first we see the first reality, who God is, and then we see the second reality, who we are. Now the third reality is what's been done. What's been done is the next reality, and this is where the good news really starts. Um, Isaiah then, after this, he basically says, 
what was me? Calamity is coming. I am doomed to die. What we read then is that one of the seraphim comes to him with a burning coal from the altar. And what he does is he touches his mouth with it. And this is what in verse 7 the seraphim says. uh, uh, It says, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin is purged. So what's been done? Well, the first reality, we have been purified. Isaiah was purified by this coal. You see, fire represented in ancient time, fire was really a representation of purity. And when this coal that comes from the altar, and that's an important point to remember, the coal wasn't just a coal from any fire, but it was from the altar of sacrifice that was before the throne of God. They take this coal and the seraphim puts it on Isaiah's lips and says, your sins have been purged. He says, your iniquity has been taken away. So Isaiah was cleansed or purified before God by this uh, coal from the altar. Now how about us? When we, you know, we just saw that Isaiah saw his sinfulness and we know that we need to see our sinfulness, but now what about us? What has been done for us when we come into the presence of God? Well, if you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, we have been purified and we have been cleansed in the same way that Isaiah was through that coal. See, that coal came through an altar, which was an altar of sacrifice. Now we are cleansed through Jesus' blood. If you want to take a, a quick journey over with me to 1 John, 1 John chapter 1. In 1 John chapter 1, we see that we have been cleansed. In 1 John 1, 7 is where we'll look first. 1 John 1, 7 says this, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. The Bible says that we can be cleansed of our sin. In the same way that Isaiah was purified through that coal, we have a sacrifice that has been made on our behalf, and that is through Jesus Christ himself coming to this earth, eventually dying on the cross and giving his very life. And then what 1 John says is now we can be cleansed from sin because of the blood that Jesus uh, spilled for us. Because of Jesus' shed blood, we can have cleansing of sin. But not only that, but also if you go back and we're looking in Isaiah, we see that we've been forgiven, which is very similar between cleansing and forgiven. Uh, But we also see that Isaiah's sins were purged, which is really another word for forgiven. We know that we have been forgiven by God as well. In 1 John, right where we were, just two verses later, after reading that we are cleansed from sin through the blood of Christ, we read this in 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So let's put this in our realm a little bit. So we've just seen who we are. Isaiah saw himself as a sinner. We see ourselves really in, our, in and of ourselves and in and of our nature as sinners. But yet, if we know Jesus Christ is our Savior, we have been purified, we have been cleaned, we have been forgiven of our sins. So let me just take a minute, and I know I don't want to take too long, but let me take a minute because I don't know where everybody stands here with Christ, but I want to say for a few minutes here that this is the good news of the gospel. 
If you're sitting here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and the fact that you've said to him that I repent of my sins, I believe in you and I want to give my life to you, if you haven't done that, then you are still in the state of being doomed by your sin. Because the Bible does say the wages of sin is death. And that death is first death on this world, but then death is even more serious in the spiritual sense of being separated from God forever in hell. This is a truth that we see throughout Scripture. And right now, if you haven't accepted Christ's sacrifice on your behalf, if you haven't said to him, I accept that sacrifice, then you are still doomed in your sin. So make today the day that you make sure that you start a relationship with Jesus Christ. That you say, I want to be cleansed of my sin and I want to live for him and I want to do that today. And if that's you today, please do not leave this service without talking to me or any one of these people that are in this sanctuary that know Christ. We can share with you what it means to know him, what it means to truly be forgiven. We all have sin. But let me also... Let me also caution some of you out there that, uh, and I've come to this place in my life uh, not too long ago, that when we know Christ, it stem, when we want to know Christ, when we accept Christ, it has to stem from us knowing that we are sinners. See, I fear that a lot of us have never even come to the point in our life where we have realized that we are so Despicable, so wretched, so dirty in God's eyes uh, that we need God's forgiveness. See, Jesus didn't come for those who didn't need a Savior. He came for those who were sinners, who knew that they were sinners, who understood that, and then gave their lives to Him and asked Him to forgive. You see, a lot of us, I'm afraid, have come to Christ and because, you know, heaven sounds better than hell and because uh, it's just the way we should do things, we say a prayer and we say, God, uh, please save me. But you've never really come to a point where you've understood the, just, the, just the depth of the sin and the wretchedness and the wickedness that is in all of our hearts that was planted there when we were born through our sinful nature. And if you haven't had an experience where you've really figured out that, God, I am such a sinner and I need you so much, and you've cried out to him and said, God, I need you to save me because I am a sinner this is what Isaiah is doing. He's calling out. He's saying, God, I am nothing. I am, a, I am a wretched sinner. Please help. And as he calls out to God, God answers by purifying him, by getting him ready for service, by forgiving him of his sins. And that's what Christ offers each and every one of us. So maybe you're sitting here and you haven't accepted Christ and you know you haven't. Or maybe you're sitting here and you know what? You've never, you've never seen your need for a Savior Maybe you've even said a prayer, you've come to church all your life, but you haven't seen a need for forgiveness because you've seen your sin. Make sure you take a good, honest look at yourself so that then you can latch on to Christ and accept his forgiveness. Uh, A.W. Tozer wrote this, Above all, we must believe that God sees us perfect in his Son while he disciplines and chastens and purges us that we may be partakers of his holiness key there is that God now sees us as perfect when we accept Christ we are justified by him we are seen as innocent by God even though we are sinful we can be purged forgiven cleansed from our sins and he sees us as righteous as perfect make sure you make that choice in your life and finally the fourth reality we just looked at three realities the first one of who God is and then who we are and then finally, what's been done? 
And now, what's to be done is our next reality. What's to be done? Well, we see two things in verse 8. It says, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, Here am I, send me. The first thing that needs to be done is we need to listen to God. It says here that Isaiah heard the voice of the Lord saying, This is just a little phrase, but it's so important that Isaiah was listening to what God was saying, what God was asking. Are we listening to God the way that Isaiah listened to God? How do we listen to God? It's very simple. We listen to God through this. Through God's word, we have God's inspired word in a book for us to be able to read. Praise God for that. He has spoken to us through this word. We need to read it. We need to listen to it. And we need to apply what is said in these words because this is God's actual inspired word to us. So we need to listen to God the same Isaiah, the way Isaiah did. Listen to God's call by reading his word. Then also here in verse 8, we also need to be eager to serve. So we need to listen to God but be eager to serve. Here we see Isaiah says this. After God says, who will I send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah says, here am I, send me. I want to notice one thing here. Isaiah didn't first ask this question. See, a lot of us do this. Isaiah didn't first say, "Um, well, wait a minute, what exactly are you going to ask me to do? What is is the specific thing you want me to do? Um, No. He hears God say, who will go for us? And he just says, here am I, God, send me. You see, because he's just experienced this whole idea of seeing his sinfulness, understanding that he's forgiven, and then in response to that, now he wants to serve in any way he can. He's like, here am I, send me. At this point, he doesn't even know what God is going to be calling him to do. And it turns out he has a very, very hard message that he has to bring to his people. I encourage you to continue reading Isaiah. We don't have time to go there this morning. But the idea here is that Isaiah doesn't ask, uh, what exactly do you want me to do? It's kind of like when somebody says, hey, can you do me a favor? And your first question is, well, it depends. What is it? You know? Um, but Isaiah didn't do that. He just said, sure, God, I will do you a favor. I will do what you ask me to do. We need to have a heart to, that is just like Isaiah's and ready and willing to do whatever God wants of us at any time. Uh, James 122 um, uh, James one twenty two talks, we just talked about being hearing God's word. James one twenty two says this, but do not be hearers only, but be doers of the word. See, Isaiah could have just listened to God ask and then he could have kind of stepped back and said, hey, it's not, not going to be me. But yet he responded and he did what God asked him to do. He said, here am I, send me. And then he goes on and he does what God asked him to do even when it's hard, even when it's tough, even when it hurts. And once again, why is it that he is doing this? He has just experienced the presence of God. He has seen God's sovereignty and holiness. He has seen his utter need and his utter wretchedness. He has seen his forgiveness from God. And now he wants to serve God with his life because of what he's seen. Because he's been in the presence of God, now he is ready and willing to serve First Samuel twelve twenty four and it's written on your outline sheet, says this, Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart, for consider what great things he has done for you. First Samuel twelve twenty four. 
Think, just, I want you to think about that verse. Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart, for consider what great things he has done for you. Isaiah understood what God had done for him. Do we truly understand what God has done for us? Or do we just come here on Sunday mornings and, and come to church and do our thing and never truly think about what God has really done for each and every one of us that knows him? He has taken a pitiful, wretched, sinful person that was an enemy with God and he has made, him, he's made us his friend. He has forgiven us of our sins. And if we understand that, that should motivate us to serve him with our whole heart and not ask when or why or how, but just to be ready to serve whenever we have a chance. So the reality check today is simply this. If we desire God's presence, it's not just about uh, being able to be happy and have a joyful feeling when we're worshiping God. The presence of God should lead us to see who he is. The presence of God should lead us to see who we are. The presence of God should lead us to see what has been done for us. And finally, the presence of God, when we experience his presence, should lead us to service, to serve others, to serve God, to show that wherever we are and whatever we're doing. So I don't know where you stand today, where you are in this reality check. Maybe you know all this, uh, and maybe it's nothing new, but maybe for you today, you've realized that you have to have a reality check when it comes to experiencing God's presence and, and listening to what God has to say. You see, all these things are so important that we understand, that we understand who God is, and it's so important we do, that we understand who we are, that we are nothing compared to Him, that we understand that we have been forgiven and cleansed by Christ's blood, and now... Let us all do what we can to serve him. That's my challenge to each and every one of us today, that because we know what God has done, that we will serve him with our whole hearts, with our whole lives, with everything we are. Because that's what truly happens. That's what the reality of God's presence will do in our lives. You see, we all might say that God is present in our lives, but if it's not seen in the way that we are serving him, then we might want to take another look and see if we've truly experienced the presence of God the way that Isaiah did in Isaiah chapter 6. Let's uh, say a a word of prayer and then do we have any uh, power yet? No. And then, uh, so, uh, do you want me just to close or do you want to still do a song? Okay. I'll I'll pray and then we'll have a a, a closing song um, uh, in just a minute. So let's pray. Uh, Dear Lord, I do uh, just thank you for this morning, and I know things didn't go uh, according to plan all the way, but yet we know that, as I said before, you're still God. And and God, I just pray right now that maybe today we might have had just a a little dose of your presence, and that, God, just that you would speak through your word continually, uh, not only what is already spoken, but God, just throughout the week as we go our separate ways, that you would just speak through your word to us, and that we would be willing and ready to do whatever you ask of us to serve, because we know who we are compared to you and we are nothing. We are nothing but uh, sinful and yet you have chosen to forgive us and I just pray that we would uh, use that to motivate us to serve you with our whole hearts. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.